Listening is a fundamental skill that plays a crucial role in effective communication and building strong relationships. It allows us to gain a deeper understanding, grasp perspectives, thereby fostering empathy and helps us to connect on a more meaningful level. Today's change maker does just that. Listen and connect. Steve Bessé hasn't always been a non-profit leader. For the last for 10 years, I think uh, he was a consultant for KPMG and Deloitte. And he volunteered locally at soup kitchens, homeless shelters, schools, hospitals, and uh, abroad as well through various volunteer trips to Tanzania, Kenya, and his family's native country of Egypt. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Steve, I loved what you said on your website. Connect with those in need and use amazing, passionate people to meet those needs in a strategic way. So strategic being the key word here. So and it is a beautiful thing that it all comes together. So tell us how it all began. How did the shift from corporate life to volunteering and non-profit life? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, like every great story came out of... Uh, recognizing kind of a, a, an annoyance in, in some of the work that we had been doing. I mean, I had been volunteering, like you said, you know, I, I'd done volunteering on the side for uh, years, you know, domestically and internationally. And there was always something that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way about philanthropy and volunteering and service. And I remember it all crystallized when I went to one of my international trips, which is in sub-Saharan Africa, in Kenya and Tanzania. And I remember one day we were going out to the field and going to serve and they said, okay, today you're going to build a homeless shelter. I never built a homeless shelter in my entire life. And so you go out there and, you know, you go and you start putting bricks on bricks on bricks and the, you know, the African sun is kind of beating down on you. And I remember I had this moment where I looked around and I looked at the person next to me and I said, I don't see a homeless person within 10 miles of this place. Like, what, what are we really doing? Has anyone stopped to think for one second, what do these people actually need? Or is it just because we're really good at building homeless shelters? Or is it just because, you know, hopefully it's not the case, but I can take a really nice picture and post it on Instagram or it'll, it's a great story to tell when I get yeah. back home or whatever. And so, you know, that kind of all those thoughts kind of triggered in my mind. And finally, when I got back here, we, there was a group of people here in Washington, D.C., and we came together and we said, what would it look like for an organization or for a group of people that before they did anything in a community, they spent time connecting with people on the ground first. They spent time listening, as you said in your introduction. They spent time listening to the needs of the people and really customized, tailored solutions to problems in these communities and needs in these communities. This is something I did for a living as a consultant for you know, mm. over 10 years in the federal mm. government. So why couldn't we translate that into the communities? So that's exactly what we did. We started the organization in 2012. And before we went into any community here in the Washington, D.C. area, we spent a minimum of six months connecting with people on the ground. I always make the joke that I had more coffee in those six months than, than I ever wanted to, right? Because I would take a coffee 
a meeting with anybody that would 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 sit down with me. You know, schools, hospitals, NGOs, uh, local government officials, anybody that could connect me with the real needs in that community. I would take a meeting with them. And what came out of that is this understanding of each neighborhood's really specific need. And out of that, we started creating programs to kind of meet those needs. And so what I always say is, people always ask me, what does your organization do? And I always say, it's really dependent on where we serve. What we do is dependent Mm -hmm. on where we serve. It doesn't make sense. And you're not from the Washington, D.C. area, so this won't make terribly too much sense to you. But it doesn't make sense for me to do the same programs in Southeast D.C., which has a 97% African-American population, one of the lowest socioeconomic status communities in the country that I would also do in Northwest D.C., which has a, mm-hmm. some neighborhoods have a 95% Hispanic population and vastly different yes. needs. And so, you know, unfortunately I can't explain in one minute what we do, but that's just kind of what, what we do. But that, that's fine. Uh, we are here to understand what you do and how you do it. So uh, that's very interesting. When you go to uh, some place and find out what exactly they need, that is, of course, a very time-consuming process, isn't it? I'm so sorry, say that again? Do not, that is a time-consuming process. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, you, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of time up front to kind of understand that. And the beautiful thing is, Every community is so different in understanding the need. So, you know, here in, in, in Washington, if you go out into some of the suburbs here in Arlington, Virginia, it's very bureaucratic, right? So you have to talk mm-hmm. to government officials. You have to go through the appropriate channels and you have to kind of build relationships with those in power. But if you go to a place in Southeast D.C., you're going to spin your wheels spending time with these politicians and whatever, it's much better to drive in these neighborhoods, to walk the streets and find who are the community leaders, who are the community activists that can plug you into the needs of the people. And so, you know, in Arlington, Virginia, like I said, it's very structured, it's very regimented. We identified the need of a growing number of at-risk kids in the public school system. So kids that are falling behind behaviorally, academically, socially, emotionally, or relationally, and don't have the tools they need to get back to where they need to be. So over there, we started a mentoring and read aloud program for kids not reading at grade level and kids needing a positive role model in their life. Where, Mm -hmm. as opposed to you go to Southeast DC, they absolutely have at-risk kids in their school system, and they absolutely have a need for that. But if you think of kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, their socioeconomic status is so low that their needs Mm -hmm. are so much more basic, food, clothing, shelter, you know, healthcare. Yes. Uh, so over there, we don't do mentoring and reading, even though that's a need. We start, you know, with some of those more basic needs in their yeah. kind of our healthy yeah. start program with food and things like that. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, again, my question to you would be, to deal with such a need, you require a variety of uh, people, volunteers, staff, resources, how do you cater to every individual need uh, in, you know, to make sure that it is a complete, to the complete satisfaction of the community? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always say, you know, our greatest resource is our people and that is staff, volunteers, board. Um, and you're right. You know, when we identify a need, in order to create a program that really meets that need, we bring in subject matter experts. 
right? And so I will bring in a developmental psychologist who will help me plan mm-hmm. mentoring reading programs. Yeah. And just, you know, for an example, the mentoring program that we do is not just a big brother, big sister. We also do a group activity every single month. We get all the mentors and all the mentees together in the school and we do a group educational activity. And the reason that that we do that is because the developmental psychologist who designed our program showed me evidence that talked about how at-risk kids create a negative connotation with the school building and school facilities that they go to. Imagine if you go to, you know, a restaurant every day and you get yelled at every single day you walk into that restaurant and you get yelled at. Well, now just approaching that restaurant, you're going to have this negative feeling. So what we want to do is bring those same kids to that same facility and create positive experiences with them in a safe environment, Mm -hmm. in a fun Mm -hmm. environment. And so now they're creating positive experiences and can start changing their their connotation of the actual facility, even when they're not in our program. So that when they're in their math class on a Tuesday, they feel better about it. And so that's just a small example, but, you know, getting people that are passionate about the work is so critical to me is one of the things we all say is hope is you should serve from a place of inspiration rather than obligation. And the idea is I want you, you know, you have, you're created with your very unique gifts, talents and abilities and experiences and I want you to bring that to the table and really use it in the service of others and use that passion because, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, yeah, we have a, a need from Tuesday from 12 to 1245 and you can be food pass router number 642. And that's very efficient and lovely and wonderful, but that's not us is I want you to come mm-hmm. with your full set of skills and talents and background and put that into service and use it for someone else's benefit. And I think that creates long-term volunteers. I think, you know, we have a great percentage of retention in the sense of our volunteers always want to come back because they're not just plugging a hole, but they're really using all of their background in the service. And so that creates a a much more uh, positive experience from volunteering. Okay. Um, Is it a tall order to get the right uh, volunteers? Is it a struggle to get the right volunteers? Is it a struggle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with Washington, D.C., and I, I don't know, how, again, how familiar you are with, it's a very transient area. And so, you know, we have a nine, 90% of our volunteers are between the ages of 18 to 30. And so it's a very young organization. I'm not the, young, I'm not the oldest executive director that, that's ever lived. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a, a young group of people, which is great because you have that energy and that passion and that drive. But when you are trying to create continuity, in volunteering, it is difficult to keep volunteers for a longer term basis. So we have partnerships with essentially all the universities here in Washington, D.C. And so that's great. But at the same time, these students are here for two, three years. And so you're really trying to maximize that time with them and, you know, trying to create some continuity in the programs. But um, we put a lot of emphasis on volunteer experience. And so when you come in to volunteer at Hope, I want to create a volunteer experience that you absolutely love. And so a lot of our volunteers, a lot of times they want, you know, they're they're new to the area. They want to meet people. So we'll do happy hours with our volunteers so that, you know, they meet each other, providing some benefit that outside of just volunteering, you know, we'll create, you know, Mm -hmm. continuing education Mm -hmm. sessions for them. You know, we'll get experts to come in and talk to them and things like that. And so 
kind of a holistic, I want to take care of you and I want to serve you while you're serving the people that, that are our target audience. Oh, that, that is beautiful. That is really, they may, you make them feel valued as well for volunteering. Exactly. It's almost, um, you know, serving the servers. Right. And tell us about your programs. I, I read something about your Love Your City program. Right. So we have uh, six programs in four neighborhoods uh, here in the D.C. area. And so, like I said, every one of them came born out of a need that was identified. And so um, we have the mentoring and reading program, which is our academic programs in Arlington, Virginia. The, la- the, the One of the most recent ones we created was actually in 2019, just to show you kind of how this, this philosophy really can work, is I was approached about a need about food insecurity during school closures. And so someone essentially showed me evidence and data that said that in certain neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., the most reliable meal that a child gets is at school, breakfast, lunch, and sometimes even dinner. And that's wonderful, and that's an incredible thing, until the schools close. So what happens on a weekend or a long weekend or a holiday weekend or a, a global pandemic? And so that we started this program for Healthy Start to provide kids with access to healthy food during school closures in September of 2019. And so if you think back six months after September of 2019, the world shut down and food insecurity became the epicenter of the pandemic. And so I almost feel like it was such a badge of honor for us to have identified that as a need. And because we had our ears pinned to the ground, because we understood what was going on in these communities, that we were so ready for COVID to provide access to food. And our Healthy Start program, just if I can say Really where we found our niche is not just in feeding bellies, but changing habits around food. So many of the food insecurity programs here in the D.C. area, and again, they all do great work, so I'm not saying anything about anybody, but they were essentially creating a problem by solving another problem, is what they were feeding the kids was really food that I don't feed my own children, that I wouldn't feed my own kids. And so the idea is, how many pre-diabetic kids are we creating in these neighborhoods? How many mm-hmm. habits around food are, are we teaching these kids in the name of feeding them, but at the same time really setting them up for long-term failure? And so that's why our Healthy Start program, we do our best. We provide all organic, all healthy, all nutritious food in order not just to feed a belly, but to change a habit so that when our program ends or they leave our program, they may reach for that you know, protein shake as opposed to, you know, a Snickers bar or whatever, or they may go for that fruit and veggie pouch because they're familiar with it as opposed to whatever chips or snacks or whatever. And so that's really become our niche. And, and I, I our my healthy start program director, I always joke is my least favorite person in the world because her food budget is astronomical and because we spend so much on food, but okay. it's worth it if we're trying to change habits around it. Um, you alluded to Love Your City. Love Your City is a very simple program, which is once a month on a Saturday, we get a large group of volunteers together and we try to meet one need in the D.C. area. And if that sounds unstrategic, that's because that's exactly what it's meant to be. Um, it's really a catch all for volunteering, because, again, a lot of our programs, you think about mentoring and reading, they're very high commitment uh, of programs. And so, you know, you have to do a background check. You have to commit to nine months. So a lot of people aren't ready for that kind of commitment. So what I like to do 
is get people in a love your city to almost whet their appetite on what volunteering can look like, on what serving others can look like. And so you come out for two hours on a Saturday, you're flipping burgers, passing out you know sandwiches and, and burgers mm-hmm. to the homeless, and there's music and there's fun. And you think, well, that was great. You know, that was a great experience. I want to do more of that. And so it's really kind of an entryway to the more intense volunteering in our programs. Um, so that's kind of the strategy behind that. Yeah. I like that strategy. I think um, I might use it in my community to start it's, off with. So we, yeah, it's about, we start off with cycling and ensuring that the first uh, Sunday of every month is a no vehicle Sunday. So we try not to get our vehicles out. So maybe this is a good strategy to, you know, branch out into getting the right volunteers for the right programs. It's almost kind of a product of of the current environment in the sense of when you're dealing with young professionals, people like that, you know, they can't commit. You know, they don't know what they're going to have for dinner tomorrow, you know, let alone commit. You know, so just get them in the door, make it fun, give them a great experience, and then they're going to want that longer term commitment. Let's take a break to understand what Jazuba is. Everyone at some point ponders on how this beautiful life can be made more meaningful. Maybe you're a leader trying to enhance your employees' experience at your organization. Or you already work for the community and seek volunteers with state-of-the-art skills to strengthen your nonprofit. Whatever your situation, Know that you can make a difference. Chizuba began with this very vision. A vision to facilitate every skill and every passion in the world in meeting a social need. Corporate volunteering has several benefits for both businesses and organizations. In parallel, experienced and enthusiastic volunteers join NGO workers, enabling them to serve the community more effectively. Chizuba offers everyone looking to add purpose and meaning to their lives a chance to connect or volunteer virtually with non-profit organizations from over 100 countries around the world. Visit www.chizuba.net and explore opportunities to find meaning. Chizuba, your platform to do good. And now, back with our guest. Another question that comes to me is um, when you are doing so many things, love your city, talking about mentorship, talking about you know the, the uh, poverty alleviation. These are multiple projects. To manage these multiple projects must be a challenge. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it you definitely get pulled in many different directions. Um, but like I said, I, I've got a great staff. Um, that really allows me to focus in on the 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 hundred thousand foot level while they're managing the ten thousand foot level. And so, you know, we're a small organization. You know, we have a handful of staff. And so, before them, I was really doing the on the ground stuff. And just as a leader, that's not who I'm wired to be. I'm a visionary kind of leader. I like to look at kind of big picture. I'm horrible with details. I'm horrible with kind of the micro aspect of things. And so. Having staff that I can rely on, that I know our program is going to be high quality, top notch, allows me to take a step back and look at where are we driving towards? Where are the next needs that we're looking at? You know, what else is on the horizon? And so I, I you know, I'm just a limited person that I can't do both. 
you know, if I'm managing these programs day in and day out, I cannot be ahead of the curve. I cannot be that visionary person that's looking at the future and kind of assessing things mm. on a, on a macro level. And so, uh, you know, this staff has been great and it's allowed me to do what I do best and, you know, really drive the organization to where we need to be over the coming years. That's wonderful. We need more people like you. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, uh, uh, if, if I have to say, if, how can one individual start a ripple effect? How can one individual make a difference to society? Whether it is in your geographical location or my geographical location, doesn't matter. But how does one individual who has the will, who has the passion, but doesn't know where to start? I think it's simple and yet difficult is connect with someone. Connect with someone that doesn't look like you. Connect with someone that doesn't talk like you or run in the same circles as you. Connect with people. And to me, one of the great travesties over these last couple of years because of the pandemic is we've lost that idea of connection, right? We've become afraid of the mm -hmm. other, right? We've, we've created this distance and separation is that when you go mm -hmm. into these communities, you know, People just want you to look at them in the eyes. People just want a smile. People just want to know that you're there and you're present and you're listening and you care. I mean, how many times do you go into a coffee shop and we, you know, we sit on these things and, and you know, you don't even look up. Yes. And, and there's a person there that's, you know, ready to engage and willing to talk. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. And, and so, you know, I, it's kind of a natural thing for me is I love connecting. I love talking to people. But you know, I, I learn so much when I, I go to our programs, and I connect with people on the ground. I understand, you know, these last couple of years, like I said, we've been trained to be afraid of different and of the other. And it's because when you paint groups of people as this group and you stop seeing the individuals, mm -hmm. then your whole kind of world mentality is messed up right if i just say these people and it's like no these are not these people yeah. this is jim and tony and bob and jamal and sean these are people that all have a unique story that all have a unique personality and so i i you know we get away from this idea of these groups of people and these painting these broad brushes and so you know one person can connect over your day you know how many people do you encounter in, in, in these big cities here in Washington, you walk by hundreds of people on a daily basis. If you connect with 5% of them, you connect with five people in a day, you know, over, you know, a year, you're connecting with 1500 people, you, you know, you connect with one person every single day, you're talking about 300 people a year. Um, and so I, I think that's how we start to kind of break these divides break these kind of distances and barriers that we've created and then start seeing people for who they are and creating that level of compassion and service for them. That is the beauty of connection. That's the beauty of human relationships. Now, I'm curious to know how you are greeted when you go to a community to ask what they need. Are you greeted with uh, suspicion? Are you greeted with um, are you welcome? Well, uh, the, the, the answer is if, if I went on my own, I would be greeted with suspicion. Absolutely. But 
we're very strategic in the sense of that's why early on we always try to understand who are the major players and who are the respected mm-hmm. entities in these communities. And then we get their backing and their support and then go into these communities with them and are introduced with them. Right. So, you know, example I, I say is um, in 2016, we took a 45 foot RV. We identified access to healthcare as an issue here in Washington, D.C. And so we took a 45 foot RV and retrofitted it into a fully functioning pediatric mobile health clinic, which provide full primary care access for children in the Washington, D.C. area. And so we took that mobile clinic and going into these communities, these communities, especially these African-American communities in Southeast D.C., are historically very suspicious of healthcare and medicine and and kind of that whole field. And so what we did is we partnered with the largest children's hospital in the D.C. area, Children's National. We got them on board, got their logo on the unit, and basically went in as a full functioning partnership. And so now when I walk in, I walk in with the children's banner behind me, the children's hospital banner behind me. I'm automatically respected. I'm automatically welcomed. And so you're right. I'm not some Johnny come lately that, you know, just strolled in and, you know, they probably see those types of people all the time. People that come in and come out and they want to know their suspicion is really born out of reality in the sense of they're so used to, you know, these people just coming in and saying, hey, we're going to do a good deed for five, 10 minutes. We're going to take a nice picture. We may post it on social media and then they're out. And so what people always want to know is, are you here for the long haul? Are you going to commit to this this neighborhood? And that's why anytime we start a program, it's a minimum five-year program. Whatever we're doing is so they know up front, we're planting roots here for the next few years and hopefully beyond. That's good. So it's basically human connection, it is collaboration and human relationships that take you forward and make this a fruitful and productive uh, effort. That is beautiful. And uh, lastly, uh, before we go, uh, tell me what is your opinion on people who volunteer and take a picture and post on social media? (laughs) Well, I, I would... I'm brutally honest, and that's that's one of my problems. Okay, so you know, I, I kind of <laughs> I get in trouble a lot for it. But I would be a hypocrite if I said we don't, you know, uh, we don't have a social media presence. Of course we do, and we share what we do, and we we post pictures and things like that. But I believe there is a difference between inspiring others and sharing what you do to inspire others versus exploiting the work and exploiting the people behind the work. And so it's a fine line. I, you know, if you had to ask me to define it, it'd be hard to define it, but you know it when you see it. And I, I think the last thing I'll tell you, okay, and, and maybe this encapsulates it all and, or maybe it's totally a different thing and just ignore this, but we have three core mm-hmm. tenants at, at, at Hope Multiplied. The first one is start with a need, which we already talked about. The second one is use passionate people, which we already talked about. The third one, which we did not talk about, which to me is the most important and the one I hammer at every volunteer orientation, at every meeting that we do with our volunteers and staff, is we always say we love with no strings attached. And that to me is the most critical. That to me encapsulates everything because people in need are very cynical these days, like we discussed. And people, you know, you go to help someone and 
they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're always waiting. You know, what's the catch? Yes. You know, and it's yes. here's a cup of cold water. Now listen to me talk for five minutes. Or here's a sandwich. Now sign up for my email list or, or, or whatever. And so what I always tell the volunteers is the most powerful thing you can do is love someone with no strings attached. And when it's always our goal is any program that we do, we always say we want to confuse the hell out of the people that we serve. Is that when someone comes into my program, I want them to walk away and say, what did that guy get in return? I don't see it. I don't see the, 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 you know, any benefit to that person. And I want to tell them and say, yeah, it's just out of the goodness of our heart. It's just out of the genuineness of wanting to serve. We love with no strings attached. And so if you, if there is a string attached to the service you're providing, you must take this picture with me. You must post on social media. You must sign up. Well, then you've lost it at that point. Then, you know, at that point, it's not that. But if it is, I love with no strings attached, and I want to share that message with others and share that inspiration with others, that to me is different. And you kind of, each one really needs to be honest with themselves. And I believe each one, you know, when you look in the mirror, you, you, you know, you know, the, the motivations and kind of the, the things behind it. Um, and I think it's always nice to, you know, have people to keep you in check. And so, you know, I've got a great board of directors. I've got great, you know, mentors and people in my life that, you know, if I get too ingratiated in, you know, wanting to really promote that and things like that, they'll tell me, you know, hey, that's not why we're here. That's a string attached. No, love with no strings attached. That is beautiful. And that's a lesson that I'm going to take and spread to everybody. Thank you. No strings attached, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. May uh, may more people take inspiration from Code Multiplied, and uh, I hope this creates that ripple effect that shakes us out of this inertia that sometimes we have um, in serving the community. Thank you very much for being on the spot. Thank you. My pleasure.